My name is Benjamin Pace, and you're listening to the No Content Podcast. And if you happen to be a duck listening to this, you're in a safe space. Welcome to the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace, and uh, happy Father's Day. Um, This is the official Father's Day podcast. And listen, I don't just automatically release something that has to do with a certain holiday. Um, I do try to pray and seek the Lord about what I release and when I release it. And um, what I have found is that, you know, God doesn't necessarily go by the Western calendar of holidays, but, you know, God knows what's relevant to us. And when we're taking time to celebrate certain things, a lot of times the Spirit of God will quicken things to people about those subjects because the Bible does have plenty to say about them. And one of the subjects that the Bible has a lot to say about is fathers and mothers. You know, the Bible talks about honoring your father and your mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And, you know, God himself is a father. And so it's important for us to Uh, take time to hear the heart of God on these things. And so that's what I want to do in today's podcast. And and something I just want to say about that, you know, when it comes to parents, a lot of times it's not about the person themselves as much as it is the place that they hold. And there are a lot of parents that, you know, maybe they've done a lot of wrong things. Maybe they've even walked out of your life and things of that nature. But you don't have to honor everything that a person has done in order to honor the place. And, you know, that's not a place that you can take away from somebody. You know, if God gave them that place, that's not a place that you can take away. Um, You know, I'm mindful of David and Saul. You know, Saul lost the anointing that was on his life, and eventually he lost the throne. But, you know, even because he was at one point anointed, David still referred to him as the anointed of the Lord, and he wouldn't lift his hand against him. And he still referred to him as his father because Saul was his father-in-law. And that's kind of how they referred to people. And some people still do that. But, you know, you want to be very careful. You don't have to always be involved with everything. And you don't have to support everything that somebody does. But you still want to honor the place because that is how God is. And I just want to encourage you, don't let anybody talk you out of that. Uh, That is how God's nature is. And whether or not somebody does everything right or not, God still wants us to not be led by everything that that person does or wants us to do, but to still honor the place that they hold. Amen. Anyway, that's just a side note that I wanted to say in the beginning. But the title of today's podcast is, Is Dad Mad? (laughs) Is Dad Mad? And I want to talk about this, um, what it means to escape from the wrath of God. Uh, This felt relevant to me for this time. Uh, A lot of people have the question, you know, is God mad at me? (laughs) Is God mad at me? And, you know, sometimes that comes from having lived underneath a father who got angry a lot. You know, some people have those memories and those experiences. You know, you've probably felt that before. The fear that tries to come on you when a parent is angry, especially when you're younger, you know, whether it's your mom or your dad. There's a fear that tries to rise up when your parent is angry, 
And some people might say, well, that's good. That's healthy. Um, it's healthy to have a reverence of your parents uh, and for your parents. But at the same time, you got to watch out about some of that because uh, is that properly representing the Lord? Because if something is somebody losing their temper and throwing stuff around and yelling and screaming, no, that's not representing the Lord well. And the fear that tries to get put in somebody's heart from that, no, that's not healthy. That's not good. It's good to have a healthy reverence for your parents, you know, especially growing up. If you knew, okay, if I do this, I'm, I'm going to get a whooping. Well, there's a healthy reverence <laughs> there. You may even use the term fear in that regard in the same way that you slow down for a cop. That's part to talk about. I, you know, there's a truth in that. We talked about some of that when we were talking about the fear of the Lord recently. But, but you know, just having somebody who just loses their temper and flies off the handle and yields to emotion and cusses and screams and hits and so, no, that has nothing to do with healthy fear or anything like that. That's not a good thing. And, and that can be traumatizing to children. And, and it can misrepresent what a father is supposed to be or a mother is supposed to be in some cases. And that's not something that we want to encourage or, or justify. But like I said in the beginning, it doesn't matter what your parent has done. You still want to honor the place in their life, then your life, and you want to walk in forgiveness. And I did a podcast last year with my friend Danny Rodriguez entitled, Father, Forgive My Father. And we talked about some of that. And if you haven't heard that or unforgiveness is something that you feel like you've dealt with toward a parent, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. We released it this time last year in June of 2022. But, um, you know, if you, if you grew up, in that environment where you know, maybe you had a parent that lost their temper. Maybe, maybe they even hit you or hit you know, your mom or dad or cussed, things like that. There's a lot of people who have grown up around some of that stuff. And of course, there's more mild forms of it and there's more extreme forms of it. But it can try to put something in your heart that is not healthy and is not right. And a lot of people have translated that into how they see God. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Is dad mad? <laughs> Is God mad at you? And, and listen, you may be surprised with some of the things that come out in this podcast because I feel like there's a typical modern day church answer to that question that's not necessarily faithfully representing what the scriptures have to say about it. But there's good news and there's not so good news for certain people. And that's kind of what we're going to get into here. And, uh, but I believe at the end of this podcast, you will be encouraged and strengthened and nourished up in the words of faith. Amen. Uh, Psalms 30 verse one. Uh, let me pray. Actually, I'm going to pray and we'll start father. I just thank you for this podcast. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to minister your word. I ask you to help me to speak in such a way that would minister grace to the ears of all those who are hearing this podcast. Father, and I ask that you would bring healing to anybody who has had wounds from a situation with a, a parental figure or something that has misrepresented you, Father, I ask that the scriptures would bring healing and convert the soul in these few minutes that we'll be together, Lord. And I just thank you for it. I thank you for the anointing and the grace of God to minister your good word, Father. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you feel prompted to pray, pray. That's all I'm going to say. I'm glad that rhymed. Psalm 30 verse 1 says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now that's something right there. 
God didn't tear David down. He lifted him up. Oh, come on. (laughs) We're already getting revelation, praise God. He lifted him up. You know, godly parents lift their kids up. They don't tear them down. That's the truth. And that's true of parents and their uh, children. That's true of children and their parents. But something that is never God is tearing somebody down with your words or with your actions. Now, that's not talking about godly correction. No, uh, godly correction, in fact, Hebrews 12 connects godly correction with lifting up feeble knees and the hands which hang down. You know, godly correction can sting for a moment, and yet it is lifting you up. So that's not what we're talking about when we say that. But God doesn't tear us down. He lifts us up. He said, you've lifted me up. I've not let my foes rejoice over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. That's something else we see that God does is he heals us. He's a healer. He's not the one causing us problems. He's not the one trying to damage us. He's the one that brings healing. Amen. And we'll see that come up again here in a minute. He said, Oh, Lord, you've brought my soul up from the grave. You, you kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Watch this. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for life. Amen. His anger is for a moment, but his favor is for life. It didn't say that God didn't have any anger. <laughs> like I said, this may be going a direction you weren't expecting, but it didn't say that God never had any anger. It just said it, it's temporary. It doesn't last very long. It lasts a moment. <laughs> you know, you read in the Old Testament, and you see that God had a few moments with Israel. At one point... He told Moses, get out of the way. (laughs) I'm going to consume them. But Moses appealed to him and said, God, no, don't do that. I'm paraphrasing. And God's like, Moses started talking about God's mercy. And the moment Moses mentioned God's mercy, God's like, I'm listening. Keep talking. And, And he backed off. Because there's something about talking about God's mercy that really gets his attention. We see this in the Old Testament that, when they, they sang about his mercy, he filled the temple. They said, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And he responded to that by filling the temple with his glory. And that tells me that God doesn't want to be defined by his anger. Well, I mean, do you want to be defined by your quote-unquote moments? <laughs> Have you ever had a moment? <laughs> Have you ever had a moment with your kids, if you have kids, if you're listening to this? Yeah, you've had some moments. You know you have. Don't lie to the Holy Ghost. You know you have. Well, have you ever had a moment with your spouse or a moment with your brother or sister? Well, do you want to be defined by your moment? Or do you want to be defined by your character? Do you want to be defined by your nature? Uh, Let me say this to you. God's character is not defined by his anger. Mm, Come on. God's nature as a father is not defined by his anger. Why? Because it lasts a moment. You know, there's a big difference between people who have moments of anger and people who seem to be mad at you no matter what. <laughs> that people who seem like no matter what you do, they're, they're mad about something. 
it's a perpetual thing. In fact, when the Bible talks about angry people, I believe that's a big part of what it's referring to, people who are continually dominated by anger. It's like a burning flame in their heart. The Bible says that anger rests in the bosom of fools. What does that mean? It rests there. Anger's at home in their heart. It wasn't a moment. It wasn't just a rush of emotion for a few minutes because of something that said or happened. It's something that's, it's like a steady flame that's just burning in them. The Bible says that's, that's what foolish people allow to rest in their bosom. And that's not how God is. And his character is not defined by his anger. His anger lasts for a moment. And you know, some people are always mad about something. <laughs> No matter what, they're always sad about something. They're always upset about something. And, and as soon as one thing ends, there's something else that comes up. And that's not how we want to be. Now, if you feel like you know somebody who's like that, don't get your eyes on them and start judging them. Uh, examine yourself because you can lead by example and be somebody to help them if you lead by the right example. But the, the reason why I bring that up is because God is not that way. His anger only lasts for a moment. And I find it interesting that God didn't fill the temple with his glory because they sang, God is a God of wrath. <laughs> God is a God of anger. He didn't say, that's right. That's what I want you singing about me and telling everybody about me. That's what really gets my attention. No, God doesn't want to be defined by his anger. Yes, he has anger and his anger is righteous. His anger is justified because he's God. And yet, God doesn't want to be defined by that. It's a moment. But His favor is for life. The Bible says His mercy endures forever. He loves mercy. He delights in mercy, the Bible says. He delights in it. What does that mean to delight in something? It's what you, it's what you want to be associated with, to delight in something or somebody. You know, I think this is where people get mixed up sometimes when it comes to saying, I'm proud of my child. You know, a lot of people say that, and I think that the heart behind that is not always to, to uh, communicate pride as the Bible describes it. I think a better way of saying it is, I delight in my child. I mean, really, God said it the right way over Jesus. He said, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That, that word, well pleased, same, same message as delighted well-pleased, delighted. It's really the same idea. And so that is a more accurate way of describing the feeling that parents get toward their children a lot of time. Because, you know, you do want to guard against pride slipping in with those things. Well, I'm proud of my child because they beat everybody else on the football team. Okay, well, where's the emphasis on that? My child, my child. You got to watch out about some of these things. But there's a difference between that and, and seeing your son or your daughter doing something for God or accomplishing something and saying, man, I, I delight in them. I'm well pleased with the way they're living life with the choices that they're making. That is godly. That's what he said about Jesus. Amen. And that's how God is. So uh, moving on here, in Isaiah 54, 8, it says this, with a little wrath, somebody, if you want to say out loud, a little wrath. A little wrath, just a little wrath. A little wrath, I hid my face from you, how long? For a moment, <laughs> for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. God has a little wrath 
But the Bible says that God is love. Do you see that? He has a little wrath, but he is love. That's very significant. A little wrath versus everlasting kindness. Momentary anger versus a lifetime of favor versus ever enduring mercy. See, this is the scale we're looking at when it comes to God's anger versus his mercy. His wrath versus his love. Look at this in uh, Lamentations 3, verse 31. It says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet will he show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. He doesn't afflict willingly, and he has compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. What is a multitude? A multitude is a large, large, large group. (laughs) What you could say is God has a little bit of wrath stored up in the cellar, but he's got a whole factory full of mercy. He's got a whole... He's got a whole group of warehouses full of rack upon rack of mercy. It's his inventory. God doesn't have a huge inventory of wrath. In fact, we're going to see this in a little bit, but according to Revelations, he's only got a few bottles of wrath stored in the cellar, and they're reserved. They're not for everybody. But he's got warehouses of inventory of mercy. He's got multitudes of mercy. He's got... He's got barns full of mercy. You understand? He's got all kinds of backup mercy. He's got all kinds of backstock (laughs) of mercy. He's got multitudes of mercy, and that's what he deals with us according to. The bottles of wrath are reserved, but the multitude of mercy is for anybody who will call on the name of the Lord. You know, wrath is a part of God's duty as the righteous judge of all the earth, but it is not who he is. It's not what he delights in. Let me say it to you this way. Wrath may be God's duty, but mercy is his nature. Now, I'm going to say it again. Wrath may be God's duty, but mercy is his nature. In Psalm 103, verse 1, we'll read a few verses here. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things. What are these all characteristics of? A good father. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Now, again, the Bible did not say that God doesn't have anger. It simply said he's slow to anger, and when he does get angry, it only lasts a moment. (laughs) It doesn't define who he is. It said he won't always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now, Now, let me just point this out to you right here. What's a big way? To identify if you are imitating God, you are not holding on to your anger. Are you listening? You are not continually holding on to anger. That's one of the ways we know whether or not God is being imitated in a situation. If you are holding on to anger, if you are keeping 
anger. That's not being like God. That's not being like the Father. He does not keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. In other words, He's not repaying you just based on what you've done. He's checking the back stock. <laughs> He's checking the warehouse. He's like, you know what? I've got some extra mercy in my warehouse, and I'm going to deal with you according to that mercy. Do you see that? I'm going to deal with you according to that mercy. It goes on to say, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, that's not everybody. This is talking about those who have a healthy reverence for the Lord. We did a whole series called The Fear Factor. Where we talked about the fear of the Lord versus the fear of man. But he has pity on those who fear him, who reverence him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He talks about how man's days are like a flower of the field. And it says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to their children's children. So we see this, that the mercy of the Lord is everlasting, and he has compassion and pity as a father has compassion on his children. You know, in talking about some of these things, anytime you want to see God's nature, you simply need to look at Jesus, because Jesus always did the will of his father. And look at something Jesus said in Matthew nine thirteen. He said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, this is a quote from the book of Hosea, I believe. But he said, I desire mercy. He's quoting his father. He's quoting God. Well, God desires mercy. What does that mean? Well, think about some things that you desire. Think about some things you'd like to see or like to have. Well, God desires to see mercy. He not only desires to show mercy himself, but he desires to see his children show mercy. As he has shown mercy, the Bible tells us to forgive as he has forgiven us. So he wants to see mercy be shown. It pleases him to see mercy. Let, let me say it to you this way. Mercy is on God's vision list. <laughs> mercy is on his his list of desires, things he wants. Do you want to get God something for his birthday? Show mercy. You say, well, does God have a birthday? Christmas maybe? I don't know. But show mercy. Hey, you want to do something for God for Father's Day? Show mercy. Come on. Show mercy. Find somebody who doesn't deserve mercy, which shouldn't be hard because none of us do, and show them mercy. That's the best Father's Day gift you could give God. Do you see that? He desires mercy. You say, God, what can I get you for Father's Day? What do you desire? You know what I desire? I desire mercy. I desire that you show mercy to somebody. That's what you can get me for Father's Day. Amen. And something that we see in Isaiah 53, we won't read it right now for time's sake, but we see that the Bible says God delighted to pour his wrath on Jesus to bruise Jesus for our sake. Now, if God delights in mercy, how is it that he delighted to pour his wrath on Jesus? Because that was mercy. Oh, do you see that? The only way he could have possibly delighted to pour his wrath on Jesus 
was because it was for our sake. It was the mercy of God on us. Jesus being willing to take that on himself, it was God's mercy. It was mercy making a way for us to be redeemed and reconciled to God. And God delighted in it, not because he wanted to see his son suffer, but because it was a manifestation of his mercy on mankind. That's the big thing that made it something that God delighted in. But this brings up a very important point. If God poured his wrath out on Jesus, that means that there's no more wrath for us, right? Well, <laughs> let's, let's find out what the New Testament has to say about that, because it's true. Jesus took God's wrath on himself for our sake, the wrath of sin that is incurred. He took it on himself. So is God mad at me? Well, we hear this a lot. You know, God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you. You know, people come to church for the first time and people say, you know, God, God's not mad at you. You know, that's all we want you to know is God's not mad at you. And there's been worship songs written about how God's not mad at you. Well, is that true? <laughs> is that true? Well, let's read something here. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 9 says, Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, this is talking about Moses and the serpent when the children of Israel were complaining. And he he mentioned this about tempting Christ. It's compared to the way that the Israelites tempted God in the wilderness, the Bible says in Hebrews. This has to do with testing God, provoking Him. It has to do with testing the grace of God. Testing the grace of God. You know, in many cases, people are pushing the limits on some things that they know they shouldn't be to test the limits on grace. And in other cases, people feel like, oh, I'm, I'm too far gone. There's no way grace can, can help me at this point. Well, you know, one of those people that are tempting grace, they, they may already be in a place of danger. Like the Israelites were with the serpents. But somebody who thinks they're too far gone and, and uh, I've done too much to receive God's mercy, that person hasn't even touched the beginning of God's mercy for them. Why? Humility. That's a big part of this. Humility. But you say, well, Ben, that, that was Old Testament with Moses and the serpents and all that. Yeah, but I just read you the New Testament warning you against it. So obviously there's still an application. <laughs> well, we got to watch out about tempting the grace of God and tempting the wrath of God. People say, oh, you know, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. I don't have any, you know, worry about that. God's never going to be angry with me again, no matter what I do. Well, uh, let's look at something here. Let's keep reading before I say any more about that. Uh, Notice it says that they complained. They complained. This is one of the things he talked about, tempting Christ by complaining. In John chapter 6, uh, we see that Jesus uh, referred to himself as the bread of life. And he, he talked about the Israelites who were in the wilderness with the manna. And, and you see that he compared himself to the bread of life in the same way that God gave manna from heaven. But he said, God gave your father's natural bread, but I'm the spiritual bread. And what's interesting is that In the same way that the Israelites complained against the manna and tested God, watch what happened 
In John chapter 6, starting in verse 41, it says, Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which has come down from heaven. They did what? They complained about Jesus. And down there a little ways, he said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, when the Jews heard this, they didn't receive it. And they rejected Jesus. Are you listening? They rejected Jesus. They walked away from Jesus. And the Bible says even some of his disciples complained about this. And he said to them, does this offend you? What, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. And from that time, uh, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So something I want to point out to you here is that they despised the manna that was Jesus. They despised Jesus. Why, Why did the serpents get an open door into the Israelites' life because of their complaining. And one of the things, among other things, that they complained about was the manna. But how were they healed? By looking at the serpent on the pole, which represented Jesus. We know that from John chapter 3. They looked at the serpent uh, on the pole. In fact, let me read that in John chapter 3, verse 14. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Watch this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So again, we're seeing here, that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but those who reject Jesus are already condemned. So we see that people who are not believers, there's already a level of condemnation that's abiding on them. That has to do with judgment. Let me read something else to you. And uh, down in verse 36 of the same chapter, it says, He that believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but watch this last phrase, but the wrath of God abides on him. Mm. But the wrath of God abides on him. Now, this is talking about people who don't believe in Jesus. The wrath of God abides on him. Well, is it accurate to tell somebody who's not a believer, who's not been born again, who's never received salvation, that God's not mad at them? Well, in a sense, that's true, that God is not angry with them or offended with them in the sense of his emotions. But at the same time, that's not an accurate description of the state they're in spiritually. Are you listening? If somebody has not received the Son on whom the wrath of God was poured, then the wrath of God abides on them. 
Now, there is wrath. Again, that's not God's nature. It's his duty. But the only way to escape the wrath is to take refuge in the Son. And the Bible talks about this in Psalm chapter 2. Kiss the Son. In fact, you know what? I wasn't planning on this, but let's go over to Psalm chapter 2 and see something here. Uh, just, just more confirming what we're looking at here about Jesus and the subject of the wrath of God. Uh, this wasn't in my notes, so it's kind of spontaneous. Um, but it says, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, verse 5, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, You are my son. This day have I begotten you. This is talking about Jesus. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He goes on to say, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, watch this, lest he be angry. Ooh, and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled, watch this, but a little. Oh, man. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. He said, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled. Oh, listen, that's Thomas the train saying amen. That, that was an appropriate amen, Thomas. Thank you, sir. He said, kiss the son. Listen, I'm glad somebody's amening me out here. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. Do you see that? When his wrath is kindled but a little. You know, all it takes is a little bit of God's wrath. <laughs> And yet that shows you how enduring his mercy is because his wrath only lasts for a moment. And yet all it takes is for that wrath to be kindled a little for you to perish from the way. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth and the life. What we were reading in 1 Corinthians 10 about not tempting Christ, you know how that ends? God provides a way of escape. Jesus is the way of escape. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The only escape from the wrath of God is to take refuge in the Son. Why? Because that's the one that he poured his wrath, out, his wrath out on. So the only thing that causes the wrath of God to come on somebody is despising and rejecting Jesus. You know, people say, how can God send people to hell? And what did we read in John? He said, they're condemned already. They're already headed for hell, and they're already living in a measure of it. But Jesus is the way out. He's the lifesaver. Do you see that? Look at this in Hebrews 10, verse 26. It says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall you be thought worthy, watch this, who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. I'm going to get more into this passage in a series I'm going to be doing in a few months, I think, but... You know, he, he's talking about somebody who knew the way of righteousness and then turned around and despised the blood and despised the sacrifice. 
you know, I'll just mention this to you. I do not believe this is talking about a baby Christian who doesn't know any better and is yielding to the flesh. I believe this has something, something to do with people who know what they're doing, despising Jesus, despising the blood, and willingly giving themselves over to the enemy after they knew and saw the truth. You see this in Hebrews 6. It describes some of these things. I won't get too far into that right now. But he, he describes wrath being poured out on somebody who despised the blood, despised the covenant, and despised the sacrifice. Do you see the connection here? And it goes on to say, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, that vengeance belongs unto God. So we're seeing a sobering truth here that Jesus is the key to not experiencing God's wrath and how you treat Jesus and your relationship with and toward the Son is the only reason why any of us have escaped the wrath of God. Now, in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, uh, it's talking about judging people. And it talks about how when you judge other people, you're actually judging yourself. And he, he says, do you think that you who judges other people and do the same things that you'll escape the judgment of God? He says, or do you despise, watch this, the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But after your hardness and impotent heart, you treasure up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What's he talking about here? He says, who will render to every man according to his deeds. This has to do with people trusting in their own self-righteousness and judging other people, thinking that they're going to escape the wrath of God that way. He's saying, you think that when you judge somebody else, that you're justified in the eyes of God, that you're going to escape the wrath of God? He said, it's the goodness and kindness of God that leads men to repentance. And, and, and he's saying, you're opening yourself up to wrath by judging, judging other people. Now, that's very important. I could do a whole other podcast on that. You're opening yourself up to wrath by having wrath toward other people. Now, there's an application to this with unbelievers who are trusting in their self-righteousness. There's also an application with believers. When you judge other people, when you have wrath toward other people, you can open a door to some things in your own life. Our righteousness is not going to be judged by whether or not we did certain things or didn't do certain things. Now, our reward will be judged by that, but it's going to be judged by whether or not we've received Jesus Christ as our righteousness according to the gospel. That's what determines whether or not the wrath of God abides on us. Look at this in uh, Romans 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if I have peace with God, then I don't have wrath in between me and God. I'm not experiencing God's wrath. He's not mad at me. <laughs> God's not mad at me. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let me just say this. You know, the Bible says to be at peace with other people as much as it lies with you. You can't always control whether or not somebody else is mad at you, but you can control whether or not you are mad at them. And, you know, somebody else may choose to be angry with you and mad at you does not mean you have to be mad at them 
as much as it lies with you. Don't let anger rest in your bosom. Whether or not somebody else is yielding to it is between them and God. Don't let it rest in you. But he said we have peace through God, uh, peace with God, excuse me, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 8, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We are saved from wrath through Jesus. Jesus is the only way that we are spared and saved from wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come. Now that's very important. The wrath to come. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11, it says, For God did not appoint us, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. He said, we're not appointed under wrath. Now, now I know I've read a lot of scripture to you, and maybe some questions have come up into your mind about some of those passages in Hebrews. You know, can I still experience the wrath of God after I'm saved? I believe the Bible reveals that it is possible for that. What, what would be the cause of that? A couple of things despising and rejecting and trotting underfoot the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus, rejecting him, saying, I don't want you, Jesus, and not just a baby Christian who doesn't know what they're doing. If you read other passages in Hebrews, you see that there was some maturity involved to the people he's talking to. But knowing what you're doing and despising that and rejecting it and walking away from it, there is a truth that you can open yourself up to the wrath of people. That's what he was saying in Romans chapter 2. Who are you? You're inexcusable, O man, who judges somebody else and you do this people. That's what he was saying in Romans chapter 2. Who are you? You're inexcusable, O man, who judges somebody else and you do this. Who are you? You're inexcusable, O man, who judges somebody else and you do the same things. You're inexcusable. You have no right to be judging somebody else when you've done the same thing. This is one of the ways people can open themselves up to measures of wrath is by letting wrath abide in them towards somebody else. And you've got to watch out about that. We've got to judge ourselves in these things. It doesn't matter what somebody's done. We don't want to let wrath abide in us towards somebody else. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Well, why would he need to say that to you in Ephesians chapter 4? Because not dealing with wrath Letting the sun go down on your wrath can open a door to the enemy in your life in the same way that the Israelites opened a door to the serpents by complaining. You want to watch out about this. And there are measures of wrath that you can open yourself up to in these ways. But the big point I want to make to you is ultimately the thing that sets us free from ever having to experience the wrath of God is that we take refuge in the sun. We take refuge in the sun. We take refuge in the blood of Jesus, and the wrath of God has been poured out on him. And as long as I am under the shelter of the sun, I'm not going to experience the wrath of God. I'm not going to experience what it's like to hear dad be mad. <laughs> Do you see that? Because I've taken refuge in the sun. And because of that, the wrath of God does not abide on me. 
because I believe in the Son. The wrath of God does not abide on me. I don't have to experience it. And in Revelations, I mentioned this earlier, it talks about bottles of wrath being stored up. It talks about the wine of the wrath of God being poured out. Well, I just want to make this comparison to you in the final moments of this podcast. You know, there are grandparents who have cellars of wine stored up. Now, I'm not going to get into discussion about whether or not you think they should. But there are grandparents who may have a cellar of wine. And what is that? It's locked. It's locked. It's stored up. Why? Because it's not for the grandchildren. It's not for the children. Do you see that? But they may have a whole pantry full of snacks and and goodies and, and all these wonderful things laid up and treasured for the children. But they're not appointed unto the bottles of wine. Do you, do you see what we're saying there? That's not for them. That's reserved. Revelation says the, the, the wine of God's wrath is reserved. He talked about wrath that's reserved for the day to come. Uh, we've escaped from the wrath to come. There are bottles of God's wrath that are going to be poured out on the earth. It's the truth. But we are not appointed unto wrath. Praise God. Me and you, if you're a believer, if you're born again, if you've taken refuge in the Son and received the cleansing blood of Jesus, you are not appointed unto wrath, and you don't ever even have to see the bottles <laughs> of wrath that are stored up. You're a child, so you get access to the pantry. Do you see what we're saying here? And, and again, you know, talking about opening doors to the devil through judging and anger and things like that, I'm not talking about you going to hell. Now, if somebody knows what they're doing and walks away and rejects Jesus, there is a truth in being able to be lost there. And I've talked about that some in the past. I'm going to talk about it some in the future. But don't let that strike any fear into your heart. That wouldn't happen unless somebody wanted to walk away from Jesus and reject him and want nothing to do with him. You can't lose your salvation. But there are people who can choose to walk away. That's what Hebrews is talking about, I believe. But... When I'm talking about some of those things, there are smaller measures of wrath that we can open ourselves up to by judging other people and things of that nature. But I'm not talking about you going to hell or anything like that. But the biggest thing I want to communicate to you is that God has not appointed you unto wrath. God has not appointed me unto wrath. So if I ask the question, is God mad at me? Not if I'm taking refuge in the sun. Not if I'm taking refuge in the blood. If it wasn't for the blood, the wrath of God would be abiding on me. If it wasn't for my faith in the name of Jesus, the wrath of God would be abiding on me. But guess what? In Christ, dad is not mad. Amen. Glory to God. That's what I want to communicate to you today. Hey, if you've never received the blood of Jesus, if you've never taken refuge in the Son, I want to encourage you, don't put it off. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation, and you don't ever have to experience the wrath of God if you will honor the blood, if you will receive the sacrifice, if you will take refuge in the Son and believe on the name of Jesus, then the wrath of God was poured out on him and you don't ever have to experience it today, tomorrow, or after this life. And I want to encourage you, don't waste another minute. Reach out to God with all your heart and receive the precious gift of salvation. Hey, happy Father's Day. I hope you got something out of this. Thank you for clicking play, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks again for listening to the No Content Podcast. Remember that Jesus loves you, he loves everyone else, and please don't forget to feed the ducks.